2: Welcome to the show. Today we celebrate normal. We're back to normal. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life. And it's live. Uh, this a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. Whatever's on your heart, all you need to do is provide the phone call. 210-340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great holiday season. Christmas was wonderful. Uh, we had two great New Year's services and. Uh, I told the church here I always love it when Christmas and New Year's falls on a Sunday. It just gives us the opportunity to do some different kind of things. And I absolutely loved it, but I'm really happy that we're back to normal. And Lord willing, um, I'll be back live every day this week. And we look forward to your calls, your questions, and whatever it is on your heart. Let's get right away into some questions that we're waiting for here. Uh, The first one is an anonymous question from our email inbox. Anonymous says, Pastor on over the weekend I saw a Christian movie on how this woman would look at her husband with so much admiration and love for him. I really want to say I love how you look at your wife and smile at her when she is singing. Oh, I'm going to cry. Uh, it makes uh, it makes me believe you fall in love with her all over again and take her home at that very moment. I must admit that I'm envious and pray that one day my wife looks at me like that. I make it a mission to love and serve my wife in our regular Bible studies and prayers at home, uh, taking her to church weekly, taking care of her teenage children, serving her at home in which I clean, wash clothes, wash dishes, things she really hates to do. Most recently, I had a heart-to-heart conversation, and she simply told me she appreciates what I do for her and her children, but she's not in a place where she can give me what I need. I'm simply asking for respect and more effort. Uh, in her part to be a wife and mother. What are some of the things I can do for her, do better for her to love me like the Bible says, to love one another? The Bible talks about the husband must die to ourselves for the wives, but I'm afraid I may get to a point um, which I stop showing over exceeding effort. Um, Let me deal with the the nice things you said about uh, me looking at Paula. I Um, You know, when Paula is singing in the worship team, it's sort of a mixed bag for me. I love watching her sing. I really do. She's got such a beautiful voice, and I know her heart is even more beautiful. Uh, But it means that we don't get to hang out together. I I don't get to see Paula uh, almost at all. I mean, I can look at her on the stage, but we don't get to talk or anything else because she's busy and I'm busy. And normally when she's sitting by me, at least during the worship stuff, we get to talk and things, but, but I don't. Um, But I absolutely um, love watching her on the stage. Uh, And uh, I do look at her with uh, um, admiration. Um, I love her faithfulness. And um, the smile I'm not aware of. I'm not smiling because she's certainly not looking at me. Uh, But um, uh, I, I can't say I fall in love with her all over again because I love her never fell out of love with her so I don't fall back in but I just love to see her using her gifts. Uh, I've got a moment nobody's waiting on the line. I remember the very first time I ever heard Paula sing. Now I, I used to be a very good singer before my voice changed as a kid. I sang in a California State Honor Choir and and uh, once my voice changed I couldn't sing. I still can't sing at all. So, But I have a wonderful, wonderful ear for music. Uh, I can hear sharps and flats and highs and lows and and I just have a great ear for music. And I remember that day we were here, we were at the beach, Newport Beach, California. And uh song came on and she was singing with it. And I heard this voice and all I could think was, is that really what I'm hearing? Can she really sing that well? And of course, uh, uh, she could. I, I absolutely was in love with her then. I'm still in love with her. Uh, Fun fact, you guys might not know about Paula. Paula was a recording artist or at least started down that road when she was 19 and 20 years old. Uh, She was actually chosen to be the replacement for Diana Ross on The Supremes. And uh, they wanted her to date some stars and do some PR stuff. And and it would have meant that her and I would never have survived. And she chose me instead of that, but they wanted her to be the replacement for Diana Ross when Diana Ross stepped out of the Supremes. For those of you who are young, you can Google that, but uh, she has a beautiful, beautiful voice. Now, let me get to the question that you had. Um, the last thing you said, you're afraid you may get to a point where you stop showing over-exceeding effort. Uh, that's, that's up to you. We're to love our wives the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. I know how hard it is to do it, especially when you're not getting uh, the response that you hope to get. But see, the Bible also says never grow weary in well-doing. The Apostle Paul, talking about his own life, said he, that he spent the idea that there is nothing left and still being spent. And And so all you have to do is tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And I promise you the Lord will use this to to deal with your wife's heart. And see, that's the real goal. We want her heart to be one that will love sacrificially. We want her heart to be more like Jesus' heart. I just got done with a couple of Bible studies in Philippians chapter 2. And we're told that our mindset, our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who considered equality with God, not something to be grasped or or something to be held on to. Literally, in the Greek word picture, it's he lets it go. Uh, He's got it. Uh, He's the one who said, let there be light, and there was, but he lets it go, and he did it because of his never-ending love for you and for me. And if our mindset is supposed to be like that, then you keep doing all the things that you're doing. And see, one of the things that you always have to check, we all of us have to check our motives for the things that we do. Are you serving your wife because you love the Lord and because he asked you to do it? Or are you serving your wife to get something from her? That's the thing that you really need to, to be honest about with your heart. And as long as you're serving her, because that's what Jesus asks you to do, then there's going to be an inexhaustible supply of strength, an inexhaustible supply of power. And all you have to do uh, in order to enjoy um, God smiling at you, that's literally what happens. She may not be responding, but Jesus is smiling at you that whole time. So that's what you need to do. So don't worry about what do I need to do better or what can I do more. Instead, just keep doing what you're doing and doing it with the heart that the Lord can honor. And I promise you, um, God's grace is sufficient, and He will use your sacrifice to minister to your wife's heart. Now I want to emphasize. I'm repeating here, but it's important. Um, nobody likes to serve without getting something from it. Let me give you homework to do, Anonymous. Read Luke chapter 17, the first 10 verses. You want to see what a servant is? And you never know if you have a servant's heart until you see how you respond when you're treated like a servant. And we've got to be men and women who Jesus can simply say, you're doing it for me, and I'm grateful. And he really will be. Great question and I don't know who you are obviously but um thank you that uh, you noticed it I'm looking at Paul I'm not doing it intentionally I think sometimes I make her a little bit nervous but I'm doing it just because um I love her Let's go to JR online one from San Antonio JR thanks for calling you're on the air Hey Pastor Ron thank you uh
3: thank you for taking my call I got a question today for uh, it concerns of listening to God and, and hearing Him speak to you, and, and I got to think I, I I talk to Jesus pretty much all day, every day. It's, Good for you. Uh, something, it's a, uh, and I I consider that constant prayer. But occasionally things will come up, Pastor, that that uh, it'll be a fairly major decision and usually involves finances and stuff But i just don't get the the sense that i'm i'm hearing him give me a firm answer yeah and and i spend a lot of time in the word and prayer and but now i I just finished my studies in in uh first kings and something that keeps coming to mind is uh uh, Elijah, when, when he, uh, he was running after, you know, Jezebel threatened mm-hmm. and whatnot, and he come to that cave and, uh, uh, you know, God spoke to him after the, the, you know, the wind, uh, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. And then it says, uh, still small voice, or I guess in the, in the NIV, it's a gentle whisper. You know, mm-hmm. it's quiet, and that's the way. That's the way I hear from him. And I mean, that's basically the same as you know my own thoughts. It's you know the same volume, I should say. Yep. Uh, with a different with a different feeling. I got. Uh, uh, but now, in my studies, and it may not be the best way to study, but. I, I, I go to YouTube sometimes. I got like a low-hate relationship with YouTube, but I find some good stuff on there occasionally. And I found this one guy on this subject, and he's talking about my favorite mistranslations. And and he, he, he specifically mentions that scene with Elijah and says, uh, you know, it could be misinterpreted, You know, a a still, small voice could be also translated into a a roaring, thunderous sound. Oh, no. And it could, you know, and and I'm wondering, you know, because, I don't know, you go through translations, people make mistakes, and and sometimes it's not necessarily a mistake, it's just the words can mean two different things, I understand. But I'm wondering if you had any. And so there this guy, he, he seemed to have his stuff together. I, you know, I, as I watched that video, I come to respect him quite a bit. There are very few people yeah. that that I would trust in that kind of media and everything. And Jer, what, what's uh, it, do you know? He, what's yeah, his name? Uh, I have it written down. Let me. Um, okay, yeah, his name is Douglas Stewart. And and on the introduction there is I mean he says he was in on the uh he's like, you know, speaks fourteen different languages. He was yeah. one of the translators in the original NIV back in, uh, I think he said nineteen seventy two or something like that. I'm not sure. But yeah. Pretty uh, well. Jared, let me, uh,
2: Jerry, let, me uh, let me ask you one more question because I wanna I wanna work this into my answer. Are you married? I am. Thank you very much. I've got the gist of what you're talking about and, and I'll answer. This is such an important topic. Uh, a couple of things. Um, be very, 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 very discerning um, on YouTube and, and on other online um, so-called preachers or scholars. Uh, typically, somebody doesn't have to talk about how many languages he speaks. Um, uh, if God gives somebody a platform into do and and it is it is not possible that this guy you're listening to um is qualified if in fact he says that that the same words can mean a roaring voice uh rather than a gentle whisper uh it it's true that Hebrew words uh, and and in some cases Greek words can be hard to translate and they can mean uh different things in a different context but they can't mean uh contradictory things so I would immediately I'm going to look up this guy and maybe I'll have a comment on him tomorrow uh, at the top of the program, Jr. But um, um, my my discernment tentacles are out and I would be very, very, very careful about listening to somebody uh, like him. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And uh, typically all you have to do on YouTube is you can go to whatever chapter you're studying. First uh, Kings 19 in Elijah's case or 18 and 19. And you're going to see some some great studies, um, um, some solid people, but just be very discerning because you're going to have to listen to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff as well. A couple of things about listening for the Lord's voice. What God is doing in your case, JR, is teaching you to walk by faith. You know, too many of us, we want certainty in our walk. And at least in my experience, there are almost 32 years as a believer, the only certainty I ever had was when I was a brand new Christian. You know, babies need to be taken care of. Babies need to be uh, pushed around and directed. And as a spiritual baby, even though I was a grown man, as a spiritual baby, God spoke to my heart very, very clearly about things. But as I grew, as I matured in the Lord, as I got deeper into the Word of God, um, that um, clarity, that specificity, Uh, began sometimes to change, and it changed uh, because God is simply saying, okay, how about you trust me? And, um, um, you know, we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. And here's what I always tell people, JR, and I hope this takes a lot of pressure off you. Uh, If your heart is right with God, you don't have to be right. God will redirect your steps. He saved me more times than I can communicate to you on this program. The other thing, and the reason I asked if you were married, assuming your wife is a believer and you guys are in the Word together, you're praying together. Um, Jerry she's she's going to be your biggest asset. So when you got decisions to make about finances, you got decisions to make about moving, taking a job. What should I do about this? You got decisions about. Kids or 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 or, or little uh, you know grown or smaller kids. Um, you and your wife can sit down and in the Word together, the Lord will speak to your hearts, and then you can be in unity and agreement. Um, I, I've done a lot of things here at our church, um, a lot of steps of faith, and it's always been a still small voice. God's not in the show off habit. Um, he speaks to my heart, certainly and clearly. But there's a whole lot of times, just like you, where I, I'm not able to discern what's God, what's me, and what might be the enemy. And and it's because God is simply saying, how about you trust me? Just walk with me. Jesus and my sheep know my voice. I call them by name, and they follow me. And if you're doing that, JR, I promise you following Jesus is going to lead you into the right decisions and, and will help you remain in the perfect will of God in your lives. So here's what I do. Important decisions. Um, Paul is always the first person I go to. I want her to pray about things. I want her to, to seek the Lord on those things. And then we can get together and Paul always one to share her heart with me. And that way we know when we make a decision that that we're in agreement. And when we're walking together, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? We know we're walking in the will of God. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Um, I've had a lot of pastors on staff over the years, elders. We make decisions uh, and we, we have no money. So we make decisions to spend a bunch of money that we don't have, you know, for to start this free ministry or that free ministry. And um, um, I want to know Paula's with me on those things before I make that step of faith. And here's what I always tell the Lord: Lord, you know I I need two things. I need to know that I'm with you, and I need to know that Paula is with me. And when I know Paula is with me, when I know that, then it doesn't matter what anybody else says or thinks. And every pastor that we've anointed, every elder that we've ordained, uh, all of these steps of faith, every one of those decisions went through Paula first because I want to be sure that we're in these decisions together. The stakes are too high and pretty soon as you're getting older and more mature in the Lord, JR, um, you will um, hear God Less clearly, and yet you'll follow God and you'll find out that he's the one who began a good work in you. He's also the one who will be faithful to complete that work. So you don't need certainty. What you need is to be with Jesus. Wonderful questions there. Thank you very, very much. I've got Douglas Stewart. He's a writer and professor of Old Testament uh, history at Gordon uh, Cornwell or Conwell Theological Interdenominational Ceremony no, uh, seminary. seminary, I'm sorry, and that's all I've got Now, but I'll, I'll listen to a little bit of his stuff And have something for you uh, Tomorrow, Jr. at the top of the program Or at least in the first part of the program tomorrow Good questions, J.R., thanks Very much, and God bless you for studying Your Old Testament, I love that Here is a question from Juan um, Juan says, Pastor can you provide your knowledge when it comes to the Catholic religion? Oops. Uh, that's me. My, that was my oops, not Juan's. I read over the weekend that uh, Benedict's death has caused controversy because it brought up the conversation of him stepping down as a lead pope, or as the only pope, really, in 2013. Um, and it was a controversy. He says, now Pope Francis said he would step down if his health is not strong enough to lead his pope. People in the Catholic religion are divided with these kind of conversations, especially when archbishops remove Nancy Pelosi from the Catholic Church for believing in abortions. However, a different archbishop did not remove President Biden after he supported abortions. Personally, is lifelong Catholic, and in parentheses, he writes, I am no more. I believe the Catholic religion is a joke. Can you make sense of it? Um, let me say this one. Uh, I, the Catholic religion is not a joke. It's very sad. Uh, it's it's really, really sad. Uh, people who are not being taught they need to be born again, people are putting their trust in the Catholic Church or in the saints or in Mary, um, operating in, in contradistinction to uh, the way the Word of God tells us to function. Um, so it's not a joke at all. Um, it's not right. Um, there are some saved Catholics. I just don't think there are very many. Uh, based on what they teach, Um, but it's not a joke. Whenever people are are being uh, deceived, whenever people are going to church thinking that they're going to be okay on that day of judgment, only to find out they're not, there's nothing funny about that. So uh, I can't make any sense of the Catholic religion. You know, one pope comes and, and contradicts another pope, and yet they're both supposed to be speaking ex cathedra, uh, the very vicar of God the voice of God on earth um, popes are supposed to serve until they 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 die um, that hasn't happened the first time Pope Francis who cares nothing for the word of God and um, um, you know tradition um, uh, he's he's completely upset things and um, that's why the people in the church are divided there's no one truth. There's no one source of authority like we have as as Christians who, who utilize the Bible as our single source of authority. Um, um, and that's why they keep shifting from one generation to the next generation. Uh, that's why you get differences of opinion among the archbishops and the cardinals. Uh, and, of course, that's why one pope, as I said earlier, can come in and sort of undo what other popes have done even though theoretically they're both supposed to both supposed to be speaking without fault for God Himself, so uh, pray for you know lifelong Catholics. I realize, and we we got a lot of people in our church, uh, probably ninety percent of our church who who come out of the Catholic background, uh, and they get angry because they were deceived for so long, and so we have to talk to them about don't get angry. Pray for the people. Pray for the people that deceived you. Um, we want people to get saved. It's that simple. And, you know, they're close. They've got the same Father, the same Son, and the same Holy Spirit. Uh, all they have to do is understand that tradition has no value when that tradition contradicts the Word of God. If God wrote the Bible, then He will never say anything or do anything that contradicts the Bible. It's that simple. And Catholics simply don't understand that kind of authority. In the scriptures, the other problem, of course, Catholics aren't encouraged at all to read the Word of God. It's something that they have on their table at home in a big, big form, um, and um, you know they—they're just deceived. It's that simple. Again, there are—I want everybody to know—because I always get emails and people chewing me out for this. I'm not bashing Catholics. I'm telling you what the practical outworking of a religious approach to Jesus Christ is. It doesn't work, and it has no value. Jesus himself said, you must be born again. He said it twice to the most religious man in Israel. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Tuesday show. 340-9585 or toll free eight seven seven six three zero kslr We'll be back in two minutes.
1: back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340 9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
2: Welcome back to the second half of our program 340 9585 or toll free 877 630 KSLR. We'd love your phone calls. Here's a question from Jonathan from our email inbox. Uh, He says, hi, Pastor Ron, thank you for Sunday's word. Well, thank you, Jonathan, for saying that, and uh, you're welcome. And then he continues, my wife and I really spoke about having a better year in 2023. My wife tends to yell and nag about everything. I really hate when she constantly yells at the children. She admitted that she needs more self-control and patience for them. I told her I needed to work on gentleness, especially the way I am direct I don't want to blame my wife, but I told her what would really help me as her husband uh, would be if she stops nagging, getting angry about everything and start throwing things around. I would not get to a point uh, of being a jerk. I told her that's not her fault and that I can be a jerk. You know, you say that, Jonathan, it's not your fault when I'm a jerk, but you just made it sound like it's her fault. So please be really, really careful with that. I'll talk more about that in a moment. He said, I can always be with Jesus regardless of how people act. With that said, what is it that I can do better as her husband besides the regular Bible reading and prayers and going to church as we already do now? I really want to be a better husband and grow closer to Jesus in 2023. Jonathan, bless your heart. Uh, The Lord will honor your heart so much. But I want you to remember, and this is something that we need. This isn't just for your wife. This is for both of you. um, Apart from walking in the spirit of God. We're all jerks. It's who we are. We've got this ugly sin nature, this horrible flesh, and we're all going to be jerks. So the answer is to walk in the power of the Spirit rather than walking in the flesh. Um, I, I might have mentioned, and just for the, the the audience, my message on Sunday was just sort of from, from uh, Joshua chapter 1 and, and then the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, um, talking about How to make next year a better year. I like to call it a more Jesus year than the year before. How to walk in the fullness of God's blessings in our lives. And it's something that we all want to do. But what we have to realize, Jonathan, is that we cannot be better in our own strength. So let me give you some advice here. What can you do to be a better husband? That's the question you ask. First, stop worrying about what your wife does. Your wife tends to yell and nag about things and yell at the kids and throw things around. That's sin. You show her who Jesus is and pray for her. You let her know when she's raising her voice, you know what, we're not going to have a conversation like this today. Why don't we take a walk? Why don't we pray together? Why don't we open the Bible together? But we're not going to have a conversation while you're angry. That's as a leader. That's your role. Yours is the one. Uh, your role is the one that, that sort of is to set the, the, the temperature setting, spiritually speaking, in your home. And so, Jonathan, what you do is you simply remind her always that let's take a walk and be with Jesus, but show her who Jesus is. You know, the, the, no matter what she does, you have no excuse that permits you to be in your flesh. Now, I realize that people frustrate us but when we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, rather, uh, patience and kindness and gentleness gentleness, were some of those fruits. Those are gifts that God has given us uh, on, on the day we celebrate for his birthday. And all we got to do is open them up every day. So um, just remember, don't serve the Lord. Don't submit to him just to make your wife behave better. You're doing it because of what he's done for you. And Jonathan, God will bless your efforts so very, very much. Um, And what we need to do is remember, Jesus, you love her. And you were patient with me, so I'm going to be patient with her. And show her. And remember, it's great that you and your wife are reading together. It's great that you're praying together. It's great that you come to church. But unless you're doing what the Word says, then there's no real practical value. And I promise you... If you take this to heart, you will be a better husband and you will grow closer to Jesus in 2023. Good questions. Thank you very much. Let's go to Caesar from San Antonio on line one. Caesar, thanks for holding. You're on the air.
3: Yes. Hi, Pastor Ron. Happy New Year. Thank you. I called in, so it's a pleasure talking with you again. Thank you. Um, So, um, my question is I go to a church here in San Antonio and. Very recently, our youth leaders who are a married couple got tattoos, and uh, these tattoos are visible, Um, and I just wanted to pick your brain or get your opinion on, is is it okay? Uh, Did they make uh, a right choice? And if uh, this had happened at your church, how would you go about, you know, this scenario of youth leaders getting tattoos? Uh, Just to give you some quick context, they aren't, like, flashing their tattoos or they ain't promoting tattoos. They just simply got them, and they're visible. So, yep. uh, just thank you for your answer in advance, Pastor
2: Ron. Thank you, Caesar. God bless you. Um, I've got I've got several of my pastors who are pretty tatted up. Um, some of them uh, tatted pretty heavily before they were saved. Um, others of them have added uh, tattoos since they were saved. And you know, it's not my position to tell them whether to get tattooed or not. Um, the Bible didn't say there's anything wrong with being tattooed. I know there's a Leviticus 19 reference, but that's not a reference to tattoos like body art, like we understand tattoos. That was the cutting of oneself in the skin in the act of worshiping false gods. So uh, there, there's no prohibition against it, and everybody's free. And and here's what I would do if I were you, uh, Caesar, as long as they're faithful, they're teaching Uh, the kids that they're responsible for the Word of God and they're living a life that is uh, upright and righteous, Uh, the tattoo doesn't change that at all. And any time a pastor or or people in the church would start um, um, sort of complaining because, well, they get this tattoo or that tattoo, as long as the tattoos aren't offensive and, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, blasphemous, um, if they're just body art, I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. And uh, in fact, I, I'll just tell you, Caesar. If if I wasn't a, a baby when it comes to pain, I'd probably have some tattoos. Uh, I like the way they look on most people. Uh, what I ask people to do when they come to me, people in our church, people that call me their pastor, um, I'll always ask them, okay, why do you want to get it? What's your motive? And then when it comes to a pastor, uh, especially when when pastors are getting really blasted uh, with tats, um, I'll just remind them, you know, the more tattoos you get, the fewer people that are going to be able to hear from you. So do you want to serve the Lord? Uh, do you want a bigger audience? Or or do you want to limit your audience because of your desire to have body art? So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all, and I would not discourage uh, anybody from getting a tattoo unless it was something big uh, in, in your face kind of thing. But the Bible says nothing at all about being tattooed, and it certainly isn't a sin. Just tell people to check their hearts. If your youth pastors, uh, a married couple, uh, are in agreement, it's their home, it's their body, it's not yours, and, and as long as they're being faithful and doing their job, thank God that they're willing to serve. Being youth pastors really, 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 Difficult. Caesar, great question. Thanks very much. Always appreciate when you call. 340 9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Sophie. She says, In your church, do you have any women women's only ministries? I've always been troubled by separating ministry into genders. Um, Sophie, in principle, I'm I'm with you on that. But yeah, we do have women's Bible studies. Uh, Yesterday at my home, uh, Paul on the first Monday of every month has a woman's prayer breakfast. Uh, And I think those are are healthy. Uh, I I love it when people gather to pray. And there's always women who are able to come. Yesterday because it was a holiday, uh, Paula said she had a full house. So yeah, we do have some women's only ministries. We also have men's Bible studies. Um, What I've always been sort of opposed to was separating ministry into um not just genders but age groups you know college and career and and seniors groups and things like that you know we're all the body of Christ and if you've got a a church that that rightly represents the the city that you live in you're going to have people of all ages you're going to have people from different backgrounds different nationalities different races uh people with different gifts um, people from different uh, socioeconomic um, um, statuses. Uh, and, and um, you know, I just don't see any value in separating them. So, yeah, we do have a women's Bible study on Monday nights uh, and a men's Bible study on Monday. They come and they worship together, then they separate. And I think that provides an opportunity uh, to deal with men and women uh, according to... Um, um, whatever the Bible is talking about in the study that you're doing. Now, remember here, uh, all of our Bible studies, we just teach through the Bible. We're not studying subjects or topics or uh, or Christian books. We're studying the Word. And um, um, the Holy Spirit will always, in a woman's study, make it relevant to the women and the things that are going on in their lives. One other comment I know I mentioned, seniors, ministries, and college and career I mention those because, you know, it's always crazy that when our kids are growing up, they want to be treated like adults. But as soon as they get in college they graduate from high school, it's like, now we want a college and career group. No, no, no. Grow up. You're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. So go out and be a part of the body of Christ, the real body of Christ, the whole body of Christ, not just everybody that looks and acts like you. And the same way with seniors. You know, sometimes we who are seniors, we have a tendency to back off And just, well, you know, uh, I've done my serving and, and nobody listens to me anymore and everybody's so young and those kind of things. Believe me, seniors out there, young people need you desperately. I always tell people who are young and they're having difficulties in their marriage, go find a married couple been married for 30 or 40 years and are walking with the Lord and seem to really enjoy one another and say, can we take you to lunch and just talk to you? There is a treasure uh, waiting in in our seniors and they need to use their gifts. God doesn't let us just pull back because we get old. And when we go out, we old people, we don't have much time left. We've got to I'll put it in Paul's words, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, white hotness serving the Lord. So, Sophie, I hope that answers your question. Here's a question from Alex. Um, I know God is love, so please explain how God could hate Esau. Um, God hates sin. It's that simple. And it's not that he hated Esau. You're right. We've got to take the whole Bible uh in context. Uh, God is love. And we also know uh, for God so loved the world and everybody in the world um that, that it's impossible for him to hate, except he hates that which interrupts the relationship. I'll give you an idea an example for between Esau and Jacob. Uh, and by the way, Jacob wasn't any better than Esau was. Jacob's life was a mess. Uh, that whole family was a dysfunctional joke. However, God knew that Esau would be the one who would serve him. He also knew that Esau would be the one. Did I say Esau the first time twice? It's Jacob would be the one to serve him. And Esau was the one who would sell his birthright for a bowl of stew. Paul said, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. That was Esau's life verse. Um, it just means that Esau had no relationship with God at all. It's not that God didn't want one. It's that he didn't have one. And the result was the difference between the two uh, and how he would treat them. uh, to, to, To give us human understanding, we would say that it looks like God hated Esau and that he loved Jacob. And we know that God loves those who come to him in a different way. Than those who are going to perish, but he loves them nonetheless because God is love. So that's how he could hate it. You know, Alex, we get two extremes. You know, we get the people that say, "Well, God hates the sin but loves the sinner," and while generally that's true, uh, God hates when they're sinning. He hates it. It separates them from from Him. It hates it, it. It 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 keeps Him from moving in and through their lives the way he wants to. So make no mistake, God hates sin, and he hates it when Christ or when people are sinning. Uh, but the other side of that is, um, nope, God just hates people who are sinning. That's what the Bible says. But remember, you can't divorce one part of the Bible from the rest of the Bible. And I think most of the time when you read that in context, Alex, there are plenty of... Uh, contextual explanations for what God is saying there. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Susan. She says, why do you think the government won't admit that the vaccines are causing people to have serious health problems? Susan, the government never admits when they're wrong. That's why. The government doesn't care about us. I mean, we actually think, and when I get a question like this, I'm always a little intrigued because it appears like we really believe the government is here to help us. They're not. Doesn't matter what country you're in or what your form of government, the government is not there for the benefit of the people, period. And the government, simply whether you're a a republic like ours or a a communist country like China, um, there's just no government that really cares about the people. They care about themselves. And at this point, to to go back and admit, uh uh-oh, we were wrong. Uh, I mean, think about what's happened. When the pandemic began, they absolutely ruined an economy. They've ruined people's lives. They've um, uh, destroyed, devastated our children's emotional uh, health. They've set them back in terms of learning, um, their their learning curve in school uh, by years and years and years. Uh, and they would have to admit that, oh, oh, we panicked, we're sorry. They're never going to do that. So uh, that's what we we got to just understand. That's the way it's going to be. You know, one of the things that kills me, Susan, is there are a whole bunch of 35 to 50-year-old, especially males, not exclusively males, but but mostly men, who are dying, uh, people with healthy hearts who are now dying um, from uh, myocardial arrhythmia. Um, um, and they were healthy. And, and, and uh, you know, it's just happening too often not to believe that these are vaccine injuries, and yet nobody will even broach the subject. So, Susan, don't worry about what the government's doing. Don't worry about um, anything other than maybe praying for the people who are in government and pray that the Lord would open people's eyes. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's amazing to me that that uh, it's so far. I mean, just the, the evidence is so overwhelming now, and yet these things are not even open for discussion. Here's a question from Lola. I haven't heard that name for a very long time. Lola says, How do I know if I've sincerely repented of my sins? Lola, there's one real way. Have you stopped sinning? I mean, that's the action you need to take. You know, if I say, oh, God, please forgive me of that sin, but I run right back into it, that's not a very genuine repentance. But if I say, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I don't want to do it anymore. Help me. And then the next time that temptation comes up, which will usually be right away, when that temptation comes up, you say, no, I, I want to be with Jesus, and I, I'm just not going to give in this time. That's a genuine repentance. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, Lola. But God knows your heart. Galatians 6 says that God will not be mocked. He knows those who are his. And likewise, he knows um, whether or not we're genuine in terms of being sorry for our sin. Instead of just being sorry we got caught or being sorry that it didn't work out the way we wanted or maybe we're just feeling guilty. So the the, the best measure of whether or not you've sincerely repented of your sins is this. Have you stopped doing it? You know, I keep telling people here at the church, to come to Jesus, you've got to come and repent of your sins, but that means that you got to want to stop sinning. 1 Corinthians 10.13, Lola says that no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you, what you can bear, and when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. In other words, a way that you can overcome the temptation. That means we don't have to sin. And so um, that's how you know. I hate it when I sin. I hate it when ugly thoughts come into my head. Now, that's not a sin when the thoughts come, but, but then i got to take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. It just means we're all in a fight, and what we got to do is fight. And too many people, Lola, when they're tempted to sin, they figure, well, I'm, I'm trying to not do it. I'm trying not to give in, but but then we do it anyway. Well, Well, God knew we were going to do that. We've got to be able to say no. One other thought, Lola. Uh, if it's sins in general, um, the struggle that you ought to be having is against different sins. You know, we, we need to overcome sins. We can't be struggling with the same sins for 10 years. That demonstrates a, a lack of sincerity or a lack of genuineness in our repentance. Good question. Got five minutes, I don't have time for phone calls. So I won't give you another phone number. Boy, time went fast this half. Jason said, uh, Pastor Ron, I've been struggling with Jesus' words about dividing families. Surely it can't be what he wants. So, why did he see it? Um, Jason, no, Jesus doesn't want families to be divided. You're absolutely right. But the reality is that he knows they will be uh, a father against a son, a, a husband against a wife. Uh, brothers against brothers and sisters, um, um, if you stand for Jesus in your home, your house is going to be divided, it said simply. So he's preparing us. He's just letting us know that this is the way it's going to be. And Jason, anybody who's ever gone home and tried to witness Christ to unsaved family members knows exactly what I'm talking about. We get saved and we think, well, why wouldn't anybody want to feel like I feel? Why wouldn't they want to be forgiven? And because we love our families, the first thing we want to do is go share with them um, what's happened to us. and, And that can happen to you too. And then they don't like it and they don't preach to me. And I know who you really are and those kind of things. That's a divided family. So what we've got to do is understand that standing for Jesus, standing with Jesus, is going to cause that kind of struggling, that kind of division within the family. It's not your fault. You can't take it personally. However, it hurts, but it's not that he came to cause the division. It's just that the result of believing in him will result in division in families because there's going to be one person that wants to follow Jesus with their whole heart and the rest of the family or part of the family that doesn't want to hear about Jesus anymore, stop preaching to me, who do you think you are, kind of thing. And that's just the way it is. That's the reality of what it is like to live with Jesus, whether it was 2,000 years ago or today. Of course, in Jesus' time, he came to the Jews. And when Jews would come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, their families would disown them. This is a rough world. It was no, uh, if you're going to believe in him, you're out of here. And uh, the reality is that uh, families have been divided from the very beginning. Thank you, Jason. One more question. I think we got time for. It. Here's one from Brandon. He said, "Did Jesus suffer in hell for three days after his crucifixion?" The answer is no. Brandon, you are you have been exposed to to some prosperity teaching. Um, Jesus had to go suffer in hell to pay for the price of our sins. No, it was finished on the cross. Jesus did indeed descend into what we would call a Hades uh, or the place of torment and then the place of paradise called paradise or Abraham's bosom. But he didn't go down there to suffer at all. He went there to preach a message of victory, to preach uh, the the freedom for the captives. He set captivity free, and he proclaimed victory to those who were being held uh, in in the place of torment. So, uh, no, he didn't suffer. That's that's aberrant theology, heretical theology, uh, and yet uh, people still believe it. It's it's promoted by primarily prosperity teachers. So I hope that makes sense to you, Brandon, but avoid that kind of stuff. And when you ask a question like that, uh, you've heard a preacher on the radio or maybe at your church say that, um, that's discernment. That's the Holy Spirit saying, no, that's not right. No, don't go there. So, no, he did not suffer in hell at all. He went to hell, according to Peter, with a declaration of victory. Not to suffer, not to pay the price for you and for me, but he went there to set the captives free. Wonderful, wonderful passage of, of uh, Scripture for all of us. Thank you, Brandon. I appreciate it very, very much. Hey, we're coming up to the end of the program. Um, uh, we're back on a normal schedule, so Lord willing, I'll be here live tomorrow. Uh, at 4 o'clock on the program and then the rest of the week Paula will be here on Thursday and then uh, no more days off uh, as long as we're physically able hey thanks for tuning in you've been listening to The Word to Stand On For Life I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas wonderful that you tune in it is an honor may the Lord bless you and keep you again Lord willing I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word we'll see you then